I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Before we begin, some questions. Who will win the White House? Will there be a contested convention this summer? What about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And now to our conversation. For answers to a presidential campaign that few predicted and fewer perhaps pretend to understand, we often turn to the dark science of polling. Given the overwhelming amount of data each of us generates each day from clicks to searches to surveys and more, the people who tell us what we think and feel have taken on an important, if not outsized, role in American society generally and American politics specifically. Among our big questions, is this nasty campaign an accurate reflection of who we are as a country? What do Americans really want in our next leader? And if it does end up to be Clinton versus Trump, Who wins an election where both candidates are disliked in such intense ways by so many? Complicated issues, which is why Mark Blumenthal is here to help us understand. Mark is head of election polling for SurveyMonkey and runs their NBC News SurveyMonkey weekly election tracking poll. He, of course, is the original mystery pollster and was co-founder of Pollster.com and previously served as senior polling editor at the Huffington Post. He's worked for dozens of Democratic candidates running for office at various levels of government. Mark, thanks for joining me. Is this campaign a pollster's dream, I'm wondering, or a nightmare? Um, Either way, I don't assume you're sleeping very much or necessarily very well. Uh, I'm I'm sleeping enough. Uh, It's a little both. It's uh, a dream, I suppose, in just its complexity and strangeness and unpredictability. I mean, it just makes it an interesting... Uh, challenge. It is a nightmare for all the reasons that your introduction suggests and, uh, you know, added on to that, the fact that that it's occurring in the midst of this moment where polling itself is challenged uh, by all sorts of technological and societal changes, and we're in this sort of moment of reinvention. So on top of everything else, uh, we're trying to reinvent polling in the midst of this crazy election. Yeah, you, you really hit the intersection of, of what has raised my curiosity, because as a, as a lay person, um, you know, who knows not even enough about polling to be dangerous, um, it, it's, it's obvious that, that so much is changing in the way, uh, you know, in the, in the data that we all leave and the impressions and, and, and that sort of thing. So, so maybe let, let's start there. Tell me, if you would, um, about the NBC News SurveyMonkey weekly election tracking poll. First, I, I mean, I know that SurveyMonkey has looked into polling previously for U.K. elections, but to my knowledge, I believe it's their first real jump into the U.S. presidential race. Um, how do your polls work, and uh, why do you believe they're effective? Um, it, it actually is not really uh, SurveyMonkey's first leap into uh, U.S. polling, although a lot of what was done before was done on a sort of experimental basis, um, released after the election. 
Uh, and you know, long before I joined the company, I've been part of SurveyMonkey since this past November. I, I really uh, don't consider and, any of uh, SurveyMonkey's history before you joined, Mark. I mean, that's just uh, a, that's, that's, a <laughs> that's nice. And and uh, you and, know, and, and much as I'd like to, to accept that credit, there is a a really amazing team that I joined. Yes, um, yes, run by John Cohen, formerly of the Washington Post and Pew Research Center, and and others who I won't name who. Uh, do all the real work while I bask in your glory. Um, but in, in 2012, uh, in a very limited way, and in 2014, in a much more significant way, SurveyMonkey, in, in 2014, in partnership with NBC News, uh, did surveys in, in all of the states that were holding uh, elections for Senate and governor. Um, the, the data was shared with me when I was still at the Huffington Post on an embargoed basis, and we wrote about it after the election, and it did remarkably well. Uh, in you know on on the whole, um, the errors were uh, they uh, in, in the pollster term it would be they, they were essentially unbiased. Uh, they didn't favor you know some were there are always errors. There was always a you know noise in surveys, um, but when you average them out across all of the races, there was virtually zero bias. Um, raised my eyebrows and opened my eyes to what was happening here. Um, started a conversation that, that ended up with me joining the company. And so d- describe that next layer um, for me and for you know folks who are listening who kind of are into the nuts and bolts of um, polling and, and the approaches. What, what, what's the approach that uh, SurveyMonkey um, you know, entails and, and how, how does that work and, and what makes it so viable uh, in your mind even from before uh, you arrived there? Sure. So it, it is very different. I mean, surveys done online are different than those done on the phone. Most of the surveys done online over the last 10 or 15 years have involved what in, in the research business we call a panel, people who were recruited ahead of time, usually by Internet advertising, who agree to do multiple surveys over time, um, because there is no way to sort of reach out and randomly grab randomly grab people from all across the population to do surveys online. What's different about SurveyMonkey is that um, there are 3 million people a day who complete surveys for our SurveyMonkey users. And those are not political polls. Those are questions about where to go to happy hour. Those are small surveys being run by churches and schools and employers and uh, companies talking to their customers about a myriad of different subjects. And there are, again, 3 million people across the world complete one of those every day. And so at the end of those surveys, there's a thank you page that uh, the respondents get. And we and and the the election tracking team are uh, going and getting a random sample of that traffic and asking people to stay online for a few more minutes and answer 20 or 30 questions about politics. And so that's how the 2014 and 2012 surveys were done. And that's how our tracking for NBC News is being done. And what about that population, you know, it makes them, quote, better? I mean, or is it not a question of, of better or worse, or is it, is it a question of different? Is it the fact that they already are, you know, have volunteered to take a survey on something else, and so their, um, you know, their, their sense to continue on this puts them in a different type of category? Is it that because of the other information that you've gathered in the, you know, kind of the first half of the SurveyMonkey survey with them on, on that other, whatever the other issue was, um, you, you've got much richer data about who they are? What, what qualitatively, um, what sets this uh, uh, sample set apart? So it's a good question. It's a combination of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's partly 
um, the, the, the breadth, the simple, the, the sheer numbers and the diversity of that population. We're getting the people that agree to stay on and, and do these surveys is demographically remarkably close to the country as a whole. It is in terms of, uh, you know, forgive me if I'm too technical here, but population density. So we're getting urban areas and rural areas and suburban areas represented about right. We're getting age about right. We're getting even, even race and ethnicity very close to right. We tend to be lower on people who are, or, or we, we tend to get more better educated Americans, but we're able to, with waiting, with the same kinds of waiting that's done on, on uh, standard uh, telephone, you know, higher quality telephone surveys, we're doing the same kinds of waiting by gender and age and race and education and region. Um, we get data that on all the things that we can measure and validate uh, is accurate, including elections, including 2014, 2012. Um, it's partly the nature of the people who are responding, you know, as you guessed. They're warmed up. They're already answering questions. They're open to the idea of doing polling. We're not barging in and sticking our, our foot in the virtual door of the Internet. You know, we're not interrupting people during dinner. We're not, uh, you know, making them stop watching a television show and, and trying to get them to do something over their screaming kids. No, these are people who are either on their computers or on their cell phones answering questions for someone they trust. We don't see that data. Um, that is, you know, our, our election tracking does not make, you know, we honor the privacy of our users. We're, we're not delving into the answers to their questions. Um, but we get people who are in the mood to answer a few more, um, many of whom would probably not pick up the ringing phone anymore. So we get a very high quality, we get data that is a very high quality uh, at the outset in a, in a way that's very different from other forms of surveys, both online and, and on, on the phone. Uh, it's a fascinating process, and it's just it's, it's unbelievable. Again, as a layperson, I can only imagine uh, for someone who does what you do for a living, we, you know, we, we seem to be in the golden age of, um, of polling and the ability to, to gain data, whether it's via SurveyMonkey or, or searches or our clicks, and obviously so much of it uh, can be really um, you know, dangerous or you know, just annoying when ad tracking follows me around uh, the web, but other aspects of the, you know, the trails that we leave and you know, to, for the polling and the, the information that people like you are able to, to figure out um, is fantastic. So let's, let's turn and let's take the information that you're able I hope, to. I hope you don't mind if, if like an author plugging a book uh, before we turn to the substance. I'll just mention that uh, uh, we are uh, working with some of the top pollsters and consultants and uh, others of interest uh, who are, uh, you know, we're offering a product for sale, um, uh, research based on this, this election tracking, and uh, your, your listeners who might be interested can reach out to me or, or to, uh, we have a, we have a web page uh, that's not hard to find, SurveyMonkey Election Tracking. But anyway, let's talk about the substance. No, that, that, that's fine. No, I, I mean, first of all, I, I would, uh, you know, I would be horrified if somebody had something, uh, you know, that they wanted to talk about a book and and failed to mention. It. I mean, who, who, who would why, who would want to waste a, a perfectly good opportunity? But but no, that's I mean that's terrific, and thank you, and that's uh, you know the folks who are listening and and who are interested in that. 
um, absolutely should uh, you know should find out more. We we are you know we, we're clearly we're clearly at a crossroads. So we, and and with that crossroads and with the information that you are learning, let, let me start in, with in the broadest way possible. I, I've got a you know I've got specific stuff. There are trends that that are fascinating me as I'm looking at, at your weekly tracking polls, and I'll I'll want to ask you about them about the issues that are. Um, you know, becoming more uh, important to folks versus less, and and also some of the work that you've done around President Obama and uh, um, you know his favorability. But but first, just on the highest level, as you're looking at this campaign so far, um, how would you describe it? What what do you you know what, what's surprised you so far? And and is there a characterization over the you know look, feel, smell, taste of of this campaign that that you would give to it so far? Uh, it, it, you, you reach for adjectives, right? Crazy, unpredictable, uh, all of those things. Um, I've, you know, like, like I think most of those of your listeners, I've been following politics since I was, uh, very young and this election is unlike any other in my memory, um, certainly on the Republican side. Um, and, you know, as you said, that, that makes it, uh, uh, interesting and it, it, and has everyone glued to what we do uh, for better or for worse in, in trying to measure preferences and, and try to anticipate the outcome of these primary elections. And so on that, there's been some talk, and not just here's more general than, than SurveyMonkey and the work that you're doing, but there's been, been questions around has this primary season been harder um, than usual on pollsters? I mean, it sure seems like it. You know, we can start with uh, Iowa. You can talk about uh, Michigan. You can talk about South Carolina. I mean, you know, heck, you can throw in, you know, the entire Donald Trump uh, aspect. There are not many folks right. who had him going to the finals in their political March Madness tournament bracket eight months ago. Well, see, uh, that, yeah. that's sort of the interesting thing, isn't it? That that um, many of us, and I certainly am among them, looked at the early polling and said, "Well, yes, Trump's ahead. <laughs> Trump's getting twenty-five percent of the vote in July." And then, you know, SurveyMonkey had Trump at thirty in, uh, I believe it was uh, early September. And everyone went crazy. That's impossible. He can't be at thirty percent. Well, it was at thirty percent the whole way, and then it got close to forty in in late November and December. And SurveyMonkey's tracking wasn't wildly different than than the rest. I mean, this is this is essentially this, these are the numbers that, that that all the national polls were getting. And a lot of us looked at that and said, well, that won't last. One of the establishment candidates will, uh, you know, one, one establishment. One of the others will. Uh, have an early victory or two and rise up, and the race will narrow from 17 down to two or three. And at that point, uh, we couldn't imagine Trump staying ahead. We were all wrong. But it wasn't polling's uh, miss. It was the way we read the data. And, and our assumption that this race would play out like a lot of others have in the past, where early leaders in the polls stopped being leaders in the polls after the first couple of primaries. And so talk to me about that. I mean, is that the, I mean, it's an, it's an incredible distinction that you made. It's not that the numbers were wrong, of course, because the numbers are what the numbers are, um, uh, but that we may have interpreted them wrong or we may have let our previous assumptions of, of history play, you know, kind of inform, it turns out maybe not correctly, how we thought things would turn out going forward. So if that's the and, case... And, and there, it's always important to do that because the horse race numbers do often change. I mean, we, we you know, sometimes we're sort of guilty of uh, 
putting too much on the last election. So the last Republican primary had a whole series of of sort of uh, temporal front runners who had these brief surges, and then they and then they were and they got negative uh, media coverage, and then they fell. And so a lot of folks were sort of expecting that to happen with Trump, and it didn't. And, and so if the horse race anyway, numbers, I interrupted your question. No, no, no. Please, if, so if the horse race numbers didn't change, you know, broadly speaking, this time around, and we may have expected them to or thought that they would, what did change? Why? What's your speculation or, or you know, scientific uh, deduction, either one, um, on what makes this one different? Well, I think, uh, you know, if we, if we focus on, on Trump in particular and, and how a lot of us reacted to it, there was in the polling data uh, uh, evidence that some of us didn't pay enough attention to, that what Donald Trump, you know, you, you asked the question at the beginning, do the results reflect the country so far? I'm not sure that they reflect the country, but they do reflect the Republican base, um, where in particular... Uh, the, the most conservative, the evangelical and church-going, the Tea Party, um, self-identified sort of Tea Party voters were extraordinarily conservative, uh, not in the mood for anything that they deemed part of Washington or the establishment, very much anti-gay marriage, very much anti-immigrant. Um, all of those things have played out in supporting the Trump candidacy. It has yet to propel him really over 50 uh, in a meaningful way, but it's gotten him to the 45% that was enough to nominate McCain and, and Romney. Um, and a lot of us, I think, assumed at first uh, that, that Trump's appeal was more about celebrity um, or that it would be undone by some of the crazy things that he started saying even from the beginning. But there was some real substance there in terms of the base backing him. The question now uh, is whether whether Trump can expand that beyond the Republican primary. So, you know, if you look at the polling data now for the general election, it is the opposite of what we were seeing over the summer. Trump is not ahead. You know, don't be fooled by his riff at his, at his uh, rallies. There have been 18, 20 or more surveys done in the last, since February. Uh, the last time I looked, I counted up since the beginning of February, and I think he was ahead on all but one of, or he was, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton was ahead by at least a nominal you know, by at least a point or two on every survey and on most by three, four, five, six or more. And so, so turning, turning to that component of, of the, the campaign, and then maybe we'll go back to some of the other stuff that's, uh, that's been going on. But, but you know, it, given the high negatives that we're hearing about with Trump and Clinton, um, if they were to meet, um, who, whose negatives are harder to shake? I mean, there was a great quote this week uh, in the New York Times, Steve Schmidt, the top campaign advisor to, to George W. Bush in, in 04 and then McCain in 2008 said there's – his quote was, there's no analogous election in the modern era where the two top candidates for the nomination are as divisive and weak. There's no precedent for it. Um, I guess first, do you, do you agree with that in the numbers that you're seeing? And then two, I mean we do know that the, the you know, unfavorables or the negatives are, are pretty high on both of those two candidates. Is it harder for one of them to shake those negatives than the other, in your opinion? Well, harder to shake involves some speculation, but what I can say with confidence is that Trump's numbers are worse. Um, his negatives are higher. The intensity of his negatives are significantly higher. So we, uh, we have asked favorable ratings on both Trump and Clinton. Trump very recently, Clinton about uh, two months ago, um, 
and you know the the unfavorable numbers are roughly the same as what you see on on the pollster the HuffPost pollster uh, averages, which is um, now I'm reading the, the SurveyMonkey data. We had 32% favorable for Trump, 67 unfavorable, so twice as high. Uh, for Clinton, it was 55, so 67 negative for Trump, 55 for Clinton. The percentage who felt strongly about it was 10 points. You know, 50% of all adults in the U.S. are rating are giving uh, Donald Trump a strongly unfavorable rating. That was fifty. About that, that was fifty that right. you said. I just I lost you for one quick second. Fifty-four. Fifty-four. Um, if you if you look at constituencies like African Americans or Latinos, um, seventy-eight, sixty-four, respectively, very high numbers. Now, can he shake those? Um, the the open question going forward. The, the one warning that we would always you know we give and we should always give about head-to-head polling at this stage. Um, it's not always predictive of the outcome. It often shifts between this phase of the election when there are still active primaries and the, after the conventions when the parties tend to consolidate. So in 2008, Barack Obama's numbers got a lot better after his battle with Hillary Clinton ended and uh, Democrats essentially became unified and he started getting 85, 90% of Democrats' numbers went up. That's usually what happens at the end of the primary season. There's a contest now among the Democrats, and there's one among the Republicans. The real wild card here, and I'm not sure anyone knows the answer to that, is what will happen with the Republican Party? Will the leaders of the Republican Party start to coalesce behind Trump? Um, you know, it's, this is a, what's completely unprecedented is the nature of that campaign. Donald Trump's been more or less at war with the last three, four nominees, yeah. I mean, he had Mitt Romney, the prior nominee, give it, you know, just last week or a week and a half ago, give this extended uh, broadside. I, you know, we can all speculate, but, uh, you know, does, does most of the Republican Party come back behind him or not? If it doesn't, yeah, then those negatives are going to be really hard for him to shake. Two aspects that I, I wanted to ask you about in, in term, that I've been noticing in the uh, weekly uh, SurveyMonkey polls. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the data from kind of the beginning of this year to present, one of them is uh, President Obama's approval ratings are growing and his disapproval mm-hmm. ratings are shrinking. So so first, is, is that is he a proxy for anything? I mean, obviously, I'm tempted to say that, you know, that that would seem to me to be great news for Hillary Clinton. But is it even related to her or is it more a condemnation? Yeah, it's of related. It's, it's, you know, the, the political scientists who've studied this, we've had approval ratings on presidents since the, the 1950s. That's, you know, that doesn't add up to hundreds of elections. It's, it's a couple of dozen. Um, but over that period, the approval rating of the president, obviously in years when the president is up for re-election, but also in years like like this one, when there's a, an outgoing president, um, the president's approval rating is highly predictive of the outcome. It's not perfect, um, but when presidents have approval ratings in the 60s or better, the president's party usually wins. When they're in the you know, low 40s or, or high 30s, the president's party usually use, loses, and we're you know, Obama's rating has been sort of right there in the middle uh, in, in what uh, tends to have forecast a close election. And the fact that it's gone up four or five points over the last month is certainly encouraging for Clinton and the Democrats. The interesting thing to me is that this happened before for Obama. That is the one other period in his presidency, other than the first month and a half, 
when his numbers were net positive and over 50, um, was in the period toward the end of the 2012 election and, and, and right after his reelection. So just before his election, his numbers went up. Part of it is always about the economy, but I suspect that some of this is just sort of an implied difference in the context of the question. That is, ordinary people answer the question and start saying to themselves, well, compared to what? Well, com- compared to Trump and the Republicans? Maybe their answers are a little better for some than they were a couple of months ago. Uh, I think that happened before with Romney, and it, it, it essentially becomes a, a, a little more of a, a, a vote question than a simple up or down on Obama. Uh, for some, and I think that's why the numbers, in part, why they've been going up. That, that's fascinating. That would that would be uh, yeah, that would be something if that uh, if that holds out. That's a fascinating way to look at it. Um, the the other aspect of the Survey Monkey, uh, um, you know, polling results that struck me was on the issue side, um, and there seems to be this transfer of importance among voters from terrorism, which seems to be falling. Into, you, you, they, I think your question is, which one of the following issues yeah. matters most to you right now? And terrorism has fallen 23% to 13, while jobs in the economy has risen from 27 to 35. So it's, it's, you know, it's almost a tra- direct transfer from terrorism to jobs in the economy. Um, why? What's going on around that? And does that, uh, you know, look, uh, the one who, you know, out of Clinton versus Trump, I mean, the one who is really really saying, uh, you know, the system is rigged, the system is broken. I mean, Hillary's been, been kind of brought there. and She's stronger on that, perhaps, at this point, but, you know, be, because of some of the work that Bernie Sanders has been doing. Um, but, you know, is that is that a testament to some of the work that Trump is doing? What, what do you make of this? Well, uh, a big part of the, you know, the, the trend line you're looking at, which started with once we started our weekly election tracking, um, we started asking that question in a routine way, but that was, and I may be remembering wrong, it was, it was uh, either late last year or early January. And there were, you know, a couple of uh, the, the uh, San Bernardino attack uh, rose, the, the terror numbers jumped, uh, and that happened just before our tracking started. So what we're catching is sort of the downside as, as uh, the terrorist, the, ter- the, the concerns about terrorism rose uh, late last year and then have been slowly fading since as, those, as that story faded from, from the headlines and from TV screens. Okay, so you just it, it, and and otherwise then are the numbers back then to kind of where they have been or where you would expect them to be and and the raking of importance of terrorism versus uh, jobs in the economy is it kind of flattening out back uh, to yeah more or less although obviously it's going to vary depending on on you know what has been in the news depending lately. on but what that, happens yes, I think that's the, the right conclusion there yeah. and, and and on things happening in the news uh, recently the Supreme Court battle. Um, have you started to factor that in? Will you start factoring that into your questioning? Will you need to wait until you see what happens? And, and which of the overall trends does, the, in, in your view, will the fight support or enhance or help? Do, do Republicans win, you know, given the things that are important to voters that you've seen and the issues? Do Republicans benefit themselves by blocking a vote, you know, that, that strategy, and in terms of what you see in terms of the polling uh, data? There, there are two questions there. One is, is easier to answer than the other. The, we have been, we had, we did uh, ask questions about uh, the Supreme Court uh, nomination, nomination process right after Antonin Scalia passed away, and what we found was that uh, 
a, I believe it was a majority, but more voters wanted uh, wanted the president to name a successor this year, and more wanted to see Congress act on that um, than than wanted to wait until you know a year until the next president is in office. Though it was a very highly politically polarized question, so Republicans were overwhelmingly wanting delay, Democrats were overwhelmingly wanting to act now. So the, the harder question is, is, does this help or hurt Republicans in the election if they continue this hard line of, of insisting that the nominee will get no hearing, much less no vote, and much less not being approved? Um, you know, those who are thinking about their primary races are responding to the will of the Republican base. Um, the harder question is whether this ends up being an issue that changes minds, right, to someone ready to vote for uh, a Republican, but for this issue, vote the other way. That's tougher, although it, you know, the Democrats are going to argue that this contributes to the overall message that they're sending, and it puts uh, there are five or six, uh, as, as I think everyone listening knows, there are five or six Democrats, uh, I'm sorry, five or six Republican senators who are up for re-election in this year, uh, who represent states that Barack Obama won, in 2012, and they're going to be under a lot of pressure um, to, uh, you know, their, their constituency is probably going to want to see the nominee confirmed. Whether that's a big enough issue to sway their vote to the, to the Democrat on top of everything else is uh, harder to answer just looking at uh, cross-tab data from where I sit. Yeah, this really is much more of a question, or I guess you're assuming in listening to your answer, you know, it seems that way, and it certainly makes sense in my mind. It's more of a question of uh, um, Senate by Senate races, and to your point, uh, are there in particular Republican senators who might be facing a uh, a primary battle, and we saw that that challenge in 2014 and 2012, and in some of the ways that, uh, you know, incumbent candidates had to run on the Republican side because they felt that they had uh, pressure from the right. I think this is the question. If you're you're trying to maintain, um, as uh, I'm thinking of uh, the campaign run by the uh, Senator, uh, I believe it's Gardner from uh, Colorado. Colorado, yeah. Yep. Saying, you know, I'm not extreme. I'm not extreme on abortion. I'm not, you know, I'm. I care about jobs. I care about a lot of things. Uh, I'm more of a moderate uh, on those issues. I'm not going to make them a priority. Well, okay. So why aren't you? Uh, you know, so so their opponents are going to say, well, here's an opportunity to show us right now that you're willing to support a moderate for the Supreme Court, and you're not. You're passing on it. You're holding on for for someone more extreme, I suppose. I mean, that, that's the way uh, that'll play out. And it's, you know, we can, uh, it's a matter of speculation as to what voters will, what will move voters and, and what will influence their choices in November. Yeah, well, I know you've done a lot of work historically on uh, uh, Senate and, uh, and I guess even House campaigns. So, um, you know, th- that may be something to, to look to from you going forward, because that's obviously an area that you historically as well have known a great, great deal about. Just to to close out, Mark, uh, going back to, in a sense, where we began this conversation um, and and what you do for a living and the times that we're in, are you on any level kind of blown away by the role of pollsters, uh, really? I mean, it seems to me at the center of, you know, it, it feels like almost any discussion in American society. I mean, the, the wisdom of crowds is this central phrase in how we speak 
speak. And, and I, I mean, I know it's simplistic, but even down to who wore it better, there is some type of calibration of American opinion that seems to drive so many of our experiences. Um, d- did you ever imagine when you got into this business that polling would be the driving social force or would be a driving social force in, in the way that it's become? I mean, I, I look at it and uh, I mean, it's fascinating to me and, and I don't do it for a living. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I certainly can't claim I thought polling was going to be a driving social force because I'm I don't know. I, we can debate how 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 strong a social force it is now. But I think what what uh, what I enjoyed about polling when I got into it, what I think made it appealing to me was the idea that uh, particularly within the context of political campaigns where everyone has an opinion about what the strategy will should be about about what issues are most important and what themes will move voters here with polling was an opportunity to actually test it to try to to determine empirically what the answers to those questions were to you know to to, to move beyond the sort of endless arguments to some sort of uh hard evidence um and that's always what's always been appealing to me about it um, the flip side of it, and I guess this gets at the sort of social force idea that you have, is, is that that does truly blow me away, and it has since I started blogging about this 10 years ago, is the way in a presidential year, the closer we get to fall, uh, well, you know, in a general way, the people who care most about election polling are those who follow politics and those who have picked a side, and they want to know if their team is going to win. And that's that's what sort of drives the interest in horse race polling. What it blows me away is the way every four years, everyone is a political junkie in September and October of the presidential year. And, you know, no matter where I go or who I talk to, particularly people who I don't interact with professionally, people who I know personally or friends of our family or relatives, everywhere I go, that's all anybody wants to ask me. You know, it was 2012. Is Obama going to win? Is he really going to win? Uh, you know, does Romney have a chance? Is this, is there, is this really, in, you know, everyone wants to know that. Um, and, and, that and that includes, you know, political reporters, everyone. Um, and that's the part that uh, continues to blow me away. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what more to add to that. Hey, I was just going to say, so for, so for three years and 10 months at a time, uh, you know, no, no one gives a hoot what Blumenthal has to say, but for two months, every four years, every, everyone, everyone wants to hear from you. you your, your, your point right. of view couldn't be more important, huh? <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the, the last three or four months, the question, it's, it's everyone, is Trump for real? Yeah. Is this really going to happen? Is he really going to be the nominee? Yeah. Um, that hasn't, hasn't let up any. No, that's not going to let up his. So, you know, just another business that uh, apparently he's good for is the uh, the polling business. Mark Blumenthal is head of election polling for SurveyMonkey, and he and his team uh, and his colleagues run their NBC News SurveyMonkey weekly election tracking poll. Mark, thank you so much for making the time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. <laughs> 